But we're getting ready to start a new series, and I think it couldn't be more timely. You know, I think one of the biggest mistakes churches are making is to not be thinking about and preparing for the future. I want to say that again. Because I know there are people that don't agree. I think one of the biggest mistakes of churches today is to not be thinking about and preparing for the future. I pastored a church in Waterloo, and it had a great, it had great growth, I'll say, through the late 90s and through the 2000s. And when I came as the pastor, the former pastor was removed from the congregation because of a morality issue. And when he left, he took over half the congregation with him. And so as you can imagine, there was a lot of hurt in the church. And the next eight years, I was trying to steer the church's thinking from lamenting over past glory days to concentrating on what God is speaking for them today and to best prepare people for the future. You know, we as Christians, especially the mature in faith, should place great focus on future leaders of the church. I believe that even though I am 43 years old, and I don't plan on retiring till I'm 65, by the time I'm 55, I hope to have identified the person that is going to take over for me one day. That's the goal. And so the, the, the thing about our approach in this is if we place the focus, the emphasis, and everything on ourselves, I believe the church will die with us. Amen? If we place it on ourselves, the church will die with us. So that means we need to raise up and entrust younger ones to lead. And I'm going to say some things that are uncomfortable because we have to open up the door for mistakes to be made. I'm going to tell you a story. Here about a month ago, Kelly and I went up to Waterloo. My former youth pastor was being ordained. And Drew, when, when he came under my ministry, he was probably 19 years old. And he was an intern in the church. And we thought, let's give Drew some tasks, some menial tasks. That makes sense, Pastor Morris, right? If you've got, you got a young, aspiring pastor, give him some menial tasks. So we'll give him the announcements, okay? And so Drew is up there giving the announcements, and there is a women's conference coming up. And Drew, in his young immaturity, he read that and he went, estrogen fest, and then just kept on going. And I'm sitting there with my mouth wide open, eyes wide open. Couldn't believe that he just said that. Eventually, we let Drew do announcements again. It was a while. But to be there and see the man that he has become, the pastor he's become. He is now an associate pastor at one of the largest churches in the state. And his senior pastor spoke over his life and he said, you are the most pastoral member of this staff. And I know that I had, although a very small, I had a part in that. 
And there were hard times working with Drew. As, as I just alluded to. But we as a church, we need to be on mission for the advancement of the kingdom of God and reaching people. And I'm going to tell you, if I know anything about reaching people, I know that the, the easiest ones to reach are the ones who are searching. Most of the ones who are searching today are our youth. Most of the ones who are searching today are our young 20s. And I do believe that one of the greatest threats to our younger generation right now, if you want to talk about modern issues in our culture, is confusion over identity. Amen? That is one of the biggest issues in our culture. And I'm not sure about you, but when I was in my younger teens, I was exploring who I was going to be, and I didn't have a clue. I was looking for answers from other people to tell me who I was going to be. I was looking for answers from professors. I even searched God eventually. And things that I thought about myself at the time, I would, I would laugh at now because I was searching so desperately for what even God had for me. And thankfully, the people that were in my life and are still in my life, the, the, the people that truly loved me, they didn't try to answer the question of who I was. I want you to think about that for a moment. They loved me enough not to try and answer the question of who I was, but pointed me to seeking God to provide that answer. It's like this. Imagine you decide that you are going to go hiking up a mountain because you have always wanted to conquer the summit, right? And then about halfway up, your legs give out. You just can't go anymore. But you've got a guy on your hiking team that is built a lot like Johnny Johnson. And he says, tell you what, I'll carry you the rest of the way. Now, I have a serious question for you. If you got to the top of that summit, would you feel fulfilled in conquering that hike? No. No. You would want to figure it out, do it for yourself, so that you could take ownership of conquering that feat. It's the same thing when we're searching. You know, I could tell someone exactly who they are and exactly who God's made them to be. But until they search for themselves and God reveals that, they're not going to take ownership of it. And they're still searching. We're going to be going through this series, a new series called Identity. And it is my firm belief that above everything else, we should be helping younger people discover their identities by seeking God. There's what the professors say they are. There's what their parents say they are. There's what the world, our culture says they are. Let's let God tell them who they are. Let's point them to God, amen? 
So what we're going to be doing is today I'm just going to open up this series, but next week we're going to be starting with creation and that we were created in the image of God. And then we're going to speak on who God says we are. And one week we're going to touch on culture versus God. And I've found that that there are more than ever that are searching because the world keeps telling them who they are and they're hearing all these contrary things and this is really what they're searching for. They're searching for truth. They just want to know truth. And most of the time, what people are telling them in who they are, it is misguided. And so to kick off this series, I want to establish that there are three forces. I, hold, I held up four fingers. There are three forces at play when it, dis, when it comes to discovering what the truth is. So we're going to talk about these three forces, and so you don't keep on guessing. I'm going to lay it out there for you. There is Satan, there's God, and then there's us as people. And so there are two base scriptures that we're going to be looking at today. And the first scripture that we're going to, I'm going to have you turn there right now, 1 Corinthians 14.33. It's going to be out of the New King James Version this morning. This first scripture, Paul was dealing with disorder in the church. That never happens here, right? Paul's dealing with disorder in the church when it came to the use of spiritual gifts. But what's interesting, if we just separate this one verse out, it fits perfectly in the context of disorder in the church when it comes to using spiritual gifts. But also, it can stand apart on its own. And I want you to notice what we can learn a lot about God and Satan in just this verse's context. Look at 1 Corinthians 14.33. It says, for God is not the author of confusion, everyone say confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Now the second scripture that I'm going to point to is from Christ. And he had, been, he had people around him that were wanting to kill him, but referred to themselves as children of Abraham. Which is, is ironic because there is scriptural proof, and we talked about a couple months ago, that Jesus knew Abraham and Abraham knew Jesus. So Jesus said something interesting to them that may seem offensive, but he had spiritual insight that they did not. And so I want to read John 8, 44 through 47. Again, this is New King James as well. John 8, 44 through 47. I want to read this for you. Jesus says, you are of your father, the devil. Did he say you are of your father, Abraham? No, he did not. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear 
because you are not of God. I want to pray. Lord, I just want to thank you. Lord, for your truth, and may we have greater understanding and why there are some that don't receive it. May we also have empathy for those who have yet to receive it. That we might lead them down that path to the truth. And then God for ourselves, I pray that Lord, there are many here that are still searching and needing answers, Father. And God, I believe that in you contains all the answers of the world. So God, I pray that you will speak to those souls. I thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, these three forces at work, the first one is, to me, pretty evident, is Satan. And Satan, he is the author of confusion. If we go back to 1 Corinthians 14, if God is not the author of confusion, there is someone who is, and that is Satan. And Satan has particular goals. I believe since the beginning, God has spoken truth, and Satan has tried his best to confuse us on what it is God has spoke. This was evident in the Garden of Eden, which we will get into more next week. And what God decides to do, he creates this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And just a sidebar, many have debated on what was the fruit in the tree, and many of you have heard an apple. Do you know scholars actually believe it was something called a quince? And a quince is similar to an apple, but it's, it's different. And so God gives them this one clear rule. You can partake of any fruit, just not that fruit. Don't partake of that. Now, I find it interesting because if we were to fast forward to the law of Moses, I believe that all of them were just longing for one rule. But they had just one clear rule, and so Satan, as the enemy of God, he had one clear way to steer Adam and Eve away from God, get them to partake of that fruit. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. It says, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So all of you men who have been ready to blame Eve for the longest time, and you see this conversation that's taking place between Eve and the serpent, did you see her husband was standing there with her the whole time? You caught that, right? 
So he was just the idiot. It was like, okay, yeah, 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 I'll, I'll take it. But I want you to look at Satan here. His first tactics are to take the truth and twist our understanding of what the truth is. And so think about it this way in his tactics. The, it, it's the opposite of God's design and purpose for us that, that God's design is God's design is that we be people of purpose, that we know exactly who we are, that we are not confused. And Satan is that we be people who are confused or in a lost state. So I decided to study what are all the tactics of Satan. And I actually found there are 19 of them. All 19 of them are right there. And if you want to take a picture with your phone, go for it. I am not going to read all 19 of them, but I am going to just highlight a few. And I want you to listen to this. We just read he casts doubt on God's goodness. He hinders our message. He uses fear. He causes stumbling because of bad Christian attitudes. That doesn't happen here, does it? He blinds the minds of unbelievers. He brings persecution. He brings sickness. Dissension over doctrine. Sexual allure. Pride. I want you to think about it this way. To stand against God, Satan has to be a liar. To stand against God, Satan has to be a liar. And his tactics do work when we are not centered on God. One of the things I love the most is to be out in nature. Do we have any nature lovers in the room? I love nature. I love seeing wildlife. And one of my favorite things when I am stuck at home is to turn on some documentary that is about nature and wildlife. And one of my favorite things to watch is predator videos. You guys know what I'm saying. Okay. So in enjoying these predator videos, there is something that is exciting about it. It's a bit intense. But you'll learn that most predators, if they are stalking a herd, they tend to go for one of two victims. The young or the vulnerable. Are you hearing me? And so they choose to go after these. Or it might be, say, the vulnerable is an animal that has a disability or it's one that's very old. And I don't know if you are aware, but Satan, as a predator, he works similarly. For instance, if you are Satan, are you always going to go after the Jobs of the world? If you look at Job chapter 1, God told Satan, he said, consider my best servant. And Job, through everything Satan threw at him, didn't curse God. Satan is not going to go after continually the Jobs of the world because he's going to walk away feeling defeated. When he attacks, he's going to attack our young and our vulnerable. You hearing me, church? And if he successfully attacks one of these two groups, then he believes God's message has been thwarted. 
It's been stopped. And I want you to think about what it means to be vulnerable. When we are most vulnerable is when our understanding is limited and we are seeking out what it is that is true, what is real, and who we are. So you want to know what our best counterattack to Satan's tactics are? Search God. Remember God says in Jeremiah 29, 13, if you seek me and find me, or, or if you seek me, you will find me if you seek with all your heart, okay? So consider those things because the search is very important. And it's tempting. I got to, it's tempting to look at those who are seeking and just give them all the answers that I alluded to earlier. But instead of always just providing the answer, I think we should just steer people towards seeking him. Steer people toward getting on their knees. Something we learn in 1 Corinthians 14.33 is God is not the author of confusion. That's Satan. He is the author of peace. Do you know you and I can be at peace when we know the truth? We can be at peace when we know the truth. But first off, where can we find the truth and who knows it? Right? So if you are searching for the truth on the media today, you're going to be very disappointed. Even if you're searching for the truth on social media, you're going to be more confused than ever before. And so when, when an unbeliever hears, here is the truth, they're like, come on. You have the truth? You have the secret to life? You have understanding of all things? I want you to listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. The only way to get to God. No one can come to the Father except through me. John 1.17 says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So there is this law of what to do and what not to do, and that came through Moses. But God's forgiveness and his truth came through Jesus. I want you to listen to John 8.31-32. through 32. It says, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, everyone say abide. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. So I just said, God is the author of peace, and the only way we can get to peace is by knowing the truth. But how is God the author of peace if the truth is so offensive? Think about it. Who has been offended by the word of God before? I believe every hand should probably be up in that. If not, you haven't been reading your Bible. Because that's what it does. But I want you to think about truth this way. Truth is only offensive to those who don't accept it. And I want to talk real quick. Three reasons the gospel is offensive. The first, 
it means that we have to confess we're a sinner. It also means that we can't do it on our own, and it means we need a Savior. At the heart of who we are as human beings, that's offensive. However, Jesus explains that if we accept the truth, that it sets us free. You know, I've had a lot of sin in my life. I'm sure you have too. And I have found the most freeing thing, that when I am in that sin, it tells me that no one can know about it, it can't be confessed, it can't be talked about, and the more it tends to take root and the more that I keep growing in that sin. And it tells me that that I cannot reveal that to anybody or my life is over. But what I have found is that when I allow that sin to be revealed, when I confess it, it actually the opposite took place where I felt free, I felt light of that burden, and all of a sudden it didn't hold power over me anymore. So do you see how that can be freeing You know, I was raised in the church, and I quickly came to the understanding of right and wrong and what the Bible teaches, and if you want to do the, hey, let's see, you can turn to, you know, Zechariah chapter 1 as quick as possible, and I'd be the first one, you know, and, but I didn't know Jesus. I didn't truly have a relationship with him. And I think what it was that I didn't accept the truth over my life until I was about the age of 17. And to know the truth means that you accept that the word is for you. That Jesus died for you. That God created you and that you were created in his image. It's knowing that I needed a savior. And I don't know about you, you can't understand that at four and five. I couldn't. And when I accept all these things, that is when I am at peace. I know who I am. And I embrace God's purpose for my life. And I can be firm in my identity. But there's a risk that if we don't accept the truth, if we don't accept the truth, we'll devolve into a greater state of confusion and restlessness. And church, I'm going gonna, I, I, I'm gonna to speak to why I believe we are at the state we are at in our nation. Older generations have chosen to leave the truth, my generation included. My generation falls into the older generation now. That's exciting. And now what we are seeing, we are seeing a desperation in our younger generations to try and discover what the truth really is. And I think our heart should long to give them peace. To give them peace. 
And peace remains under that firm understanding or foundation that comes from the Word of God. And I, I, I gotta tell you, something that I hate seeing in the church are people that call themselves believers not remaining at peace once they accept Christ. And I go back to that example of Satan as a predator because he attacks when we are vulnerable and when we're still learning and, and seeking knowledge that the Word of God can teach us. You know, I said, I'm excited for Bob Laughlin to be here, and I, I want you to write that on your calendar, and I want you to be purposeful with it. And the reason is because when, he, when, when God used him to speak over my life 25 years ago, I sought God in it, and he confirmed those words to my spirit. And then I waited, and I sought God. It caused me to seek God, because God knew I had yet to know my purpose. And that's when he chose to speak over me, when I was seeking. Church, we have to facilitate that, don't we? We have to be the ones to facilitate that. And at the acceptance of who Christ is in our lives does come from a continual lifelong pursuit of knowing him, amen? Who here is fully arrived? Who here is fully accepted and known exactly what the truth is? Church, the depths of God are so great no one could possibly come to a place of understanding all of his ways. And so I'm, I'm encouraging you, if you are one of these people that you're desperately seeking, you're going to get more answers. You're going to discover God more, but you better join one of our small groups. You better join us for a class on Sunday mornings. You better join us on Wednesday nights. We have two different adult classes on Wednesday nights. We have children's classes. We have youth classes. But we have to discipline ourselves to read the word of God and pray and truly seek him. Are you hearing me? Now, I do want to give a big caution flag here. Just because you have found Christ doesn't mean the turmoil and the difficulty ends. But yet, I believe that you can be at peace through all the turmoil and the difficulty because of him. 2 Thessalonians 3.16 says, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you his peace at all times and in every situation. The Lord be with you all. I need it. Through the difficulties of life, I need it. Because without that peace, I'm pretty wayward. Without that peace, this is a pretty scary place. Because that third force at work in the truth is us. It's me. And I have a choice to make. I have a choice between following the path of good or following a path of evil. And it brings up an age-old question. I'm sure you've heard it. Is man inherently good or evil? Have you heard that one before? 
in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus is talking to the crowd in his Sermon on the Mount about God giving us what we ask for. And then he talks about our desires to give gifts to our children. And he says in Matthew 7, 11, if you then being evil, say that again, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You know, the NLT says you being sinful, and I like just flat out calling it evil. So I chose the New King James Version for that. And evil seems like a harsh truth, doesn't it? You don't want to be told you're evil. We tend to think of the Hollywood depiction of an evil villain when we hear the word evil, don't we? Or something very dark and sinister. But what Jesus is doing is he is drawing out that only goodness comes from God. Jesus was offering counseling to the rich young ruler. And he called Jesus good teacher. And this was Jesus' response in Luke 18, 19. So Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but one. That is God. So Jesus seems to be making it very clear that in order to be good, you must be perfect and display goodness at all times. Who can acknowledge that I, we are incapable of that? I was going to say I am incapable of that. Then you all raise your hands and then here I am standing here. We know Satan is evil. But because of our own fleshly or personal desires, you and I are naturally bent toward evil. And so to choose good is to choose God. Do you hear that? To choose good is to choose God. And that becomes my daily choice. I have to focus my life on Christ each and every day. Because I don't know about you, I am my own worst enemy, and yet Jesus is my best friend. I'm going to be clear about that because we started off talking about Satan, and I just said, I am my own worst enemy. You know, Satan gets a lot of the blame for the stupid things that I do. He gets a lot of the blame. But you know what? If I recall, he didn't make any of those choices. He might have given me a gentle nudge from time to time, but I made the choice. And that created my need for Christ. But here's the thing. I also know that each and every day is a battle. And so that need for Christ is daily. It can't be just Sundays, Wednesdays and Sundays. I've got a real question for you. Aren't you tired of the wrestling match? Are you tired of wandering, trying to seek and find the truth? Or to even figure out who you are? 
Church, I'm telling you today, true self-discovery comes from bending your knee before the God who created you. That's true self-discovery. It comes from crying out to him and wanting understanding. I'm going to end with a very difficult subject that I talk about from time to time, not very often. Part of my identity that I grew up with was believing that I had to have the perfect family and what that looked like. You know, I dreamed of the old colonial-style home, two-story, white with black shutters, red door. Man, Aaron's a throwback, isn't he? And I dreamed of the perfect family of four. I thought I knew everything and had it figured out. I believed that my children would go on to do much greater things than I ever have, and they still can. But I had certain expectations on what that looked like. And then the Lord completely rocked my world. And there I was with children with disabilities, and I was mad. I was mad at the Lord. I was mad at the situation. I was like, God, I thought I knew who I was. But now I'm being told I'm something different. And I had years and years and years of trying to figure that out. And there was a lot of reconciling that I had to do with the Lord. But when I truly saw him and said, okay, I accept it. What I wanted isn't what you have. And so God, just show me who you want me to be. Show me who I am. And that is when the peace came. That is when the purpose came and the hope. And I believe that in this room, it really doesn't matter your age. You can be there in that state where you're seeking. Or maybe you've been wrestling. And you're like, God, I'm tired of the fight. And I'm telling you, the best thing you can do is surrender. Bow your knee to him. And go to the God of the universe and say, Lord, tell me who I am. Tell me who I am. And he's going to give you so much. He's got so much to reveal. Right now, I want every head bowed. And I want you to take a moment, just you and the Lord. And I want you to be honest with yourself. Am I wrestling? Am I seeking? Am I still searching for the truth?
I believe God provides all those answers, but the only way we can truly understand who we are in Him is to just bow before Him, to go before Him. And some of you here today, you felt so confused. You might have even felt hurt by God, hurt by who others told you you are. And you just want to go before Him and seek Him. Choose Him. And if you're sitting here today and you say, Pastor, I, I need to go before Him. I need encouragement and support and prayer because I'm not in a good place. But I want to get to the good place. If that's you and you'd say, Pastor, I'm just ready. I'm ready to know. I'm ready to find him. 